It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. So to prove to you that I am really here today, I, I feel guilty for taking a Saturday off last Saturday, but I enjoyed it. I really did. And I hope you enjoyed the show. It was full of a lot of great guest interviews that I have uh, done over the last month and a half, and I couldn't wait to edit them together and really give them their due and share them with you last Saturday. But I'm back, and just to prove it, uh, I just posted on the Green and Growing Facebook page a few of the snapshots, not me, I'm behind the camera in all of these, uh, to our weekend trip last weekend to the Florida Gulf. So we stayed at Port St. Joe, kind of right between Panama City and Mexico Beach. And poor Mexico Beach, they still have not rebounded from the hurricane about three or four years back. Um, tourism is, is slow to recover. So if you're considering a Florida beach, uh, maybe give give the folks in Mexico Beach some love. They would really, really love to see all of you. Um, but pictures of the sunset didn't take any of the brutal storms that we encountered. Two really violent thunderstorms. Lightning struck about 30 feet from where we were in our travel trailer, in our camper. That was terrifying. Um, but beautiful sunsets. Crabs, all kinds of wonderful flowers. I love seeing all the tropical things in Florida that we just can't quite enjoy or aren't as bright or colorful here in North Georgia. But uh, you got to see the video of the little crabs. They are strange. I don't know if they're going to grow into full-size crabs like what we know. Um, but they're tiny, tiny, tiny. They burrow in little holes in the soil there. And they're all out and they're all scurrying around at the water's edge. And then the minute you or the dog starts to even walk close to them, they all move in just this mass, like this swarm a cloud almost and they all go back into their holes and if you just stand really still they think you're gone and about 20 seconds later they'll all start to emerge from the hole and then you barely move and they all go back down it's it was wild to watch them um, but one pincher is way way bigger than the other one on all of them I noticed and if you look at the picture I just posted on the Facebook page uh, I got close enough to one without him going in the hole to hide first really ornate coloring like it looks like porcelain China, almost like he's got a blue purple coloring on his back. It's just really, really pretty. And the sunsets, of course, they're facing due west in the Gulf are just absolutely beautiful. So I'm back with you today and it's World Snake Day. So I don't know whether or not to wish you like a happy World Snake Day. I know half of you probably hate them and half of you are like, oh, they're so awesome. I love snakes. Uh, but do keep in mind that it is illegal. I don't know who enforces this, really, but you just should follow the laws because they're there for a reason. It is illegal to kill non-venomous snakes. So let them be. Just start stomping around in the landscape if you know you're going to be in an area where you've seen them before. If you see a skin that's been shed or something like that, just stomp, make a lot of noise. I promise they're going to run away from you. But I posted not too long ago... Um, on the Facebook page. It was on a Wednesday. It was a garden tip. I remember that. It was a Wednesday that I posted um, four of the most common venomous snakes. So a rattlesnake, copperhead, I think a coral snake was the other one. So you may want to scroll down on the Facebook page and at least be able to properly identify the venomous ones. But most of the ones you see are, are going to be non-venomous. So there you go. World Snake Day. Um, and also want to keep you up to date. And I asked for calls too in the first hour and would love to hear from you as summer's winding down for the kiddos. I'm sorry to be the one to remind you maybe three or four weeks before school starts back up. I would love to hear from you what you did with the kids or the grandkids this summer, an outdoor activity or places that you took them, maybe Piedmont Park or the Atlanta Botanical Gardens or Fernbank or something where they got to learn a little bit and just have a really, really good time. What I try to do on the website, when you go to wsbradio.com slash green and growing, 
right off of the WSB radio page, um, I have a portion for events, garden classes and opportunities, things that you're able to do. And I made it somewhat kid-friendly. Um, a, a lot of it was kid-friendly this summer. Pike Nursery was wonderful in offering a few classes throughout the summer for the kids that were free. Um, and there are still a lot of classes and research days and field days that all of us can participate in, activities at Piedmont Park and through Trees Atlanta. If you want to kind of get into gardening and meet some people in your community, these are great ways to do it. Um, One of the newer ones that I started following is the Fulton County Master Gardeners. So they're having a class soon, I believe next Saturday, in a week intro to gardening. So that's going to be pretty interesting. Cherokee County Master Gardeners, up where I live, Bring on the begonias. That's going to be a class at the end of the month. And, of course, you can go to pikenursery.com, see what they're offering. They do have a class today. So you want to go to pikenursery.com, register for it. It's free. Um, But summer lawn and garden care class. So if you have a lot of questions about your turf grasses and lawns and things, you can certainly call me now to ask, 404-872-0750, or uh, pop into one of those, and you can ask the experts at Pike. If you have something that just doesn't look right in your lawn, you know, we need to diagnose if it's a pest or need to diagnose if it's something environmental, maybe a lack of water or something. You just never know. And you also have your county extension agents as well. Every county in Georgia has a county extension agent and multiple people that will help answer questions and really look at something in person, you know, look at a fungal disease that you think you have or a limb or a leaf or something that just doesn't look right. So... If you're new to Georgia or you've just never really found where your county extension office is, that is all done through the University of Georgia. And you'll want to go to extension.uga.edu. And there is the uh, University of Georgia extension right there, extension.uga.edu. And you're able to find where your county office is located and also the phone number, a way of getting in touch with them as well. And you can also call 1-800-ASK-UGA-1, the number one, ask UGA one call that phone number. And you'll be able to also get connected to them that way. 404-872-0750. So some of the really fascinating insects and bugs we want to talk about on the show today. Because, you know, summer brings out everything. The caterpillars and the mosquitoes and some of the things we don't want. Uh, Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener, did have a post recently about hammerhead worms. Really long, skinny worms with a hammerhead, just like the shark looks. Um kind of invasive. They eat earthworms. They eat things that we definitely want to keep. So they're probably best to kill. Um, Like any worm, you're going to want it to to dehydrate, right? You're going to want it to dry out. So place it on a paper towel, no moisture. Even putting salt on the head of it, that seems so cruel, but these are not good guys at all. And uh, Walter really had a popular article about these guys that he shared in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in his article there maybe three weeks ago. And the editor of the AJC says it got some of the the highest numbers of clicks of anything, uh, people interested in this hammerhead worm. So what he reminds you not to do is cut it in pieces because the worm is just going to regenerate a new body from each one of those pieces, each one of those segments that you've cut up. So don't get close enough to, to chop it up or whatever. Just let it dry out on a tarp or paper towel or, God forbid, use salt or something like that. Ew, gross. And then we also talked with, uh, we heard from Walter Reeves, a conversation he and I had 
back when uh, everyone was really noticing those Joro spiders about two years ago. You remember that. If you were up in northeast Georgia, that's kind of where they were more prevalent two years ago as they really started gaining traction and attention and being noticed by gardeners, but introduced and first spotted in the U.S. back in like 2013. And when you look them up on Wikipedia, the Joro spider, uh, it said they are you know commonly found in all these Asian countries and northeast Georgia, of all places. Now they are becoming more and more prevalent in different parts of the country, but uh, nothing to really be afraid of. You know, the University of Georgia has put out a lot of research, uh, the School of Ecology and also Entomology, looking at these juror spiders, whether or not they pose a threat to local environments. Researchers don't know yet, but what we don't want them to do is become invasive and take over the native population of spiders. Uh, They do eat stink bugs, which is pretty interesting. Um, So yeah, if you have like one or hundreds in your home, stink bugs hang out. They don't hurt anything, but the drawer spider will at least take care of those. Um, And not really dangerous. I know a lot of you, and if the kids are playing outside, you don't want to see a spider. But they're typically going to just run away from you rather than try to bite you. You know, if you accidentally walk through a web, and these guys are hard to miss. They're big, yellow, and black. They're very hard to miss. So you're probably going to likely see that right ahead of you before you run into it. But they're going to run away. They do have fangs, but they're just too small to really puncture your skin not venomous or anything like that. So not invasive yet, not really super dangerous at all. They just look a lot more intimidating than they really are. And chinch bugs, talking about those in the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend, which we'll cover in just a bit, some of the the problems. Army worms as well. Um, this is the time of year. It's It's hot, it's humid, and a lot of these bugs are going to wreak havoc on your summer lawns like your zoysia, your centipede. Uh, Bermuda and St. Augustine. So when we come back, I'll tell you a little bit more about chinch bugs and also what to be on the lookout for army worms in your landscape as well. 404-872-0750 here this morning with DeMarco and Anne, ready to take your calls on green and growing. We'll be right back. Stay tuned to WSB. Since I came on the air an hour and a half ago, it's gone up one degree. It's now 74 degrees in Midtown Atlanta. And the forecast uh, brought to you by Finley Roofing and Channel 2 meteorologist Brad Nitzer in for Christina Edwards this weekend. It's partly cloudy today and tomorrow. Tomorrow, more likely a stray thunderstorm possible, but highs almost reaching 90 degrees and lows in the low 70s. So it might be a good weekend for the pool. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, so as promised, number one here, look out for chinch bugs and St. Augustine grass, also other warm season grasses, but commonly uh, eating the blades of the St. Augustine. And they're going to stay kind of underneath in the thatch area rather than being up at the top of the blades. But the sunniest parts of your lawn, if they begin to form yellow or brown patches, watering doesn't perk it up, it could be that you have these chinch bugs. They're going to be kind of like a elongated grayish brown with like a silver gray diamond on their back. Uh, Treat with an insecticide label for chinch bugs, but some are resistant. So pyrethroids maybe combined with some other things um, could be successful in managing these. And if you're not sure if that's what you've got, because you do want to make sure that you do have bugs before you just go treating it with a pesticide, not knowing. So you can cut out or hollow out an old coffee can or PVC pipe or something that's open at the top and the bottom 
and kind of push that down into the grass. Get it down into the top maybe two or three inches of your lawn. That way it's this hollow little pool, like a little hole. Fill it up with water where you think the bugs might be, where you're seeing those symptoms of the grass dying back. And the chinch bugs will float. They'll float up from underneath the thatch layer to the top of the blades. You'll be able to see them floating in that water, and that's how you know you've got them. Number two, harvest garlic. When several of the lower leaves start to go brown, but the upper five or six of the stalk are still green, depending on the weather, that could happen before late July. Early bouts of sustained spring heat can push garlic a little ahead of schedule. If you want to plant garlic, I'm going to be reminding you to do that like in late September or October. But right now you're thinking about harvesting it. Yeah, it takes that long. I mean, it's going to take up some real estate in the garden to plant it like in October and have to wait till June to harvest it. And when you're pulling it out, don't just pull it by that stalk or that stem. You really need to loosen the soil along each row with maybe a spading fork or something. Just make sure you don't puncture the heads of garlic. And it's best when cured with the leaves on. And number three, plant turf grass from sod or even seed in some cases, like you can get seed for zenith zoysia. Um, If you're just looking to cover up some bare spots, centipede is going to be best done with sod or runners or stolons. Be prepared to water new sod deeply until the new grass establishes roots. 404-872-0750. Have time to talk to JJ calling from coming. Hey there. Good morning, JJ. Good morning, Ashley. I love your show. Thanks. What you got going on today? Well, we've got we always have uh, beautiful. I, I believe they're calla lilies. They're like the trumpet flowers that come back every year. Am Are, I right on that? Yeah, and they're white usually. White with pink and fuchsia. Just beautiful. Yep. But calla lilies. Yep. Yeah, about two weeks into their uh, run, they they start getting eaten by these little beetles. Uh-huh. Um, they're kind of a brownish. Uh, kind of brownish red beetle, and they just get covered with them, and they start getting eaten up. And I just wonder what what's the best way to take care of those. Uh, so that is likely a lily leaf beetle. You described it perfectly—a brownish, almost reddish. And of course, they're going to be most active when it's in growth. They're loving eating the leaves, causing holes in the leaves, and then the edges of those holes will start to brown a little bit. So I know this yep. sounds kind of silly, but knocking them off and squishing them is one way. Um, anytime we have any kind of beetle, and the Japanese beetle, same thing, just dumping it, like knocking them off the plants. Uh, they're most active like in late morning, but knocking them off the plants into a bucket of soapy water. You're able to use like horticultural sprays as well uh, to be a little more organic horticultural oils or sprays or insecticidal soap. There's a lot of things that are going to be able to take care of those for you. So treat it almost like you would any other beetle. Okay. Do the uh, the beetle bags I've seen, do those actually work? You know, it's funny. There's, there's a lot of mixed uh, discussion, which actually I would like to expand on a little bit when we come back, JJ, about those beetle traps. Yes, they work, but they almost work too well. So I'm glad you asked about that. So stick around. Thank you very much for the call. I'll explain that for those of you who may be seeing these lily leaf beetles, Japanese beetles, anything else, and the pheromones that are in this bag that attract it and kind of what you might be doing to your environment that you're not intending to. 404-872-0750. That and more when we return to Green and Growing on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB.
7.36 on your Saturday morning. Good morning. Ashley Frasca here with you halfway through Green and Growing for today's episode. Of course, we'll be back next Saturday, same time, same place, hopefully with DeMarco and with Ann, because we're the crew. 404-872-0750. You call, you talk to Ann, you tell her what's your name and uh, what town you're calling from, what your question is. We get you on the air. A lot of you have not held on very long this morning. That's very disappointing. Uh, Jane and Bremen called earlier what to do when algae covers the entire pond. I think Mike in Gainesville just called what to do about fungus gnats and soil. So that's an easy one. If you've got fungus gnats flying around the, the upper top layer of soil in your house plants and things, a funny thing you could do, cut like an Irish potato, uh, like a little slice of it, maybe about a quarter of an inch thick. Lay it on top of the soil, and sure enough, if you have the gnats and the larvae right there, they'll collect on that potato, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's what I got. But probably you're absolutely right if that's what you think it is. They're flying around the houseplant, and they're just annoying. That's what it is. It's a fungus gnat. So the best way to do that in houseplants is make sure that the soil is not staying damp. It needs to dry out in between watering. So really, when you're watering all of your houseplants, I don't care if they require full sun or if they're low light or whatever, stick your finger in the top layer of soil. And if your finger comes out dry, then it's time to water. But if your finger and a little bit of soil collects on your finger, you don't need to keep watering at that point. And also make sure no water collects in the tray underneath. If you have that clear plastic tray underneath the pot uh, to, you know, retain the excess moisture every time you water, make sure you empty that out too, because that can attract the gnats. So let the soil dry out and that's going to kind of take care of it. Also, if it's just really, really bad, sprinkling a little bit of a layer of sand on top of the soil, that's going to discourage them from laying their eggs. Um, I wouldn't do any kind of insecticide or anything at this point. Um, And JJ from Cumming called as well, just spoke to him about uh, calla lilies, those beautiful calla lily plants with either a light pink or fuchsia or white tube kind of bloom uh, eaten up by lily leaf beetle. And so best way to control that is knocking them off the plant. I know that seems kind of silly, but that and Japanese beetles, knocking them off the leaves, they'll fall down into a bucket of soapy water that you've got, and that's going to kill them. Uh, it's going to get through to their skin, and it's going to kill them. There's organic ways to treat it, whether you use uh, horticultural oils or neem oils or sprays, even spinosad. Spinosad, you'll find that at Pike Nursery. That's a really good organic insecticide to use. I think it's made from like the bacteria that naturally occurs in soil, but spinosad's going to get to them too. But also with all of these guys, you know, they have a life cycle, right? So you've got to interrupt the life cycle to stop the larvae from becoming grubs, worms, then becoming a beetle or whatever it's meant to be. So you kind of have to be aware of all of these insects at all of their different life stages. So in the case of JJ having those lily leaf beetles too. Not only do you see the reddish brown beetles on top of the lily leaves, but also the larvae and the eggs maybe on the underside of the leaf. So you scrape off the eggs, which could be just like a little black clump underneath the leaves. You really have to carefully inspect that a couple of times a week, I would say. Scrape the eggs off, remove the beetles from the plant. You kind of have to just stay after it. And talking about Japanese beetles and how awful, awful, awful they are, Um, They are the grubs that are in your lawn, the white fat grubs that birds are going after and things in your lawns, maybe in April, May, when spring starts to emerge. And the quicker you treat grubs, the better and staying on top of that, which I I do that. I I definitely do like a seven product in a red bag. Um, The grubs are just awful. And the moles tunnel through the yard because they're looking for the grubs. So again, getting to them early 
uh, controlling the grubs in the spring is going to mean less Japanese beetles. And once you've got the beetles, uh, JJ asked about the traps. You know, you've got these Japanese beetle traps that we've all seen with the yellow and the white. And yeah, I mean, they attract a ton of Japanese beetles. And there's research that's been done from the extension at the University of Minnesota. And it it does estimate that 75% of beetles attracted to the trap end up in the trap. And you think, well, that sounds really good. It, the trap captures 75% of the beetles. 25% still stay on the outside. They land on the plants nearby and they're too smart. They outsmart the trap, so to speak. But you've attracted way more beetles to your landscape than you had in the first place. The pheromones in those traps are so strong that, yeah, you have 75% in the trap, but you are getting everyone, all of your neighbors, Japanese beetles at this point, too. So you're kind of drawing them and inviting them into the environment. So the 25%, that's a ton more than you had originally, are still going to be like, well, we're avoiding the trap. We're going to hang out on the plants that we want to eat. So the traps really probably are not as effective of one, as one thinks. And then you have to dump it and empty it, and sometimes they can smell. Uh, so just kind of staying after them as you see them and picking them off is probably going to be the best method of control for Japanese beetles. And that was very observant of JJ to notice the lily leaf beetle, like a brownish, reddish beetle, on there, 404-872-0750. And also I mentioned Jane and Bremen. I hope she's still listening what to do when algae covers the whole pond. So when you have a pond, there are different kind of algaes that you need to know and identify because some are good. Um, but large collections of the bad algae really decreases the oxygen that's able to get to the fish and the turtles and all of that that live below. So it'll kind of suffocate things that you want in the pond. And when you start a pond, you do have to apply fertilizer and all these things to get it started. But I think one of the quickest things that's going to bring on algae to a pond is fertilizer that's probably maybe spilling over from you applying it to the lawn. And when too much fertilizer is getting into that pond, it's it's helping the algae and it's making the algae grow more and more and more. So controlling it is probably a little bit trickier proposition, but you need to make sure first that you're not feeding it, that you're not contributing to the algae growing. So you need to identify whether it's taking it to, you know, the local store where you get all your pond materials and supplies from, making sure that 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 good algae that you want to keep, I think it's like planktonic algae is good, but there are other ones green and sometimes red and things, algae that's not good. So knowing what you've got before you really start a pond is is going to be your best bet there. But fertilizer is bad for it when you're fertilizing right near the pond. 404-872-0750 is the number. And Jim from Decula calling in Gwinnett County up next. Hey, Jim, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. Yeah. Uh, I planted some marigolds in my front flower bed. And I mean, they're right next to, you know, Budalea and, uh, lantana and a number of other things and it just looks like something is going in and just chewing the dickens out of them to the point that out of the half dozen i planted uh i think all of them are dead except for one. Oh no and it's not looking good so when you and think something's put, eating them is the whole you know bloom just chewed off or they're chewing around the petals of it how does it look it looks like if you took a, a piece of broccoli uh-huh. and chewed the the flower bud off of a piece of broccoli, mm-hmm. 
and the only thing left is the stem and and <laughs> and, and a couple of, and the leaves are gone. I mean, everything is gone except for maybe the hard stem. I think that's deer or rabbits really, really going after your flowers because you can just kind of tell when the whole thing is just chomped off. Of course, you know, a deer's got a much larger jaw than a bunny. It can get up higher if they're in a raised bed or something like that. But if they're on the ground too, bunnies, by the time they have all night long to chew on those, yeah, there's not much left. Now, some of them, if, yeah. if you have some of the plant left, you know, it's not too late that it could set a few new buds. I, I know I heard from a few listeners over the summer who were like, I've had these marigolds for a month now and they've not bloomed because of that prolonged heat that we had in June with no rain at all. Um, and now all of a sudden that we're getting more rain, they are starting to bloom. So I wonder if you have anything left of the plants, if they're going to still have enough energy and enough leaves, you know, that they're going to be able to take in that energy and put out new plants I wouldn't, or new flowers. I wouldn't give up on them yet. I mean, there's no leaves left. Oh, no. I mean, it, uh. it's chewed to the stems at this point. Yeah. But I haven't seen a deer in our neighborhood probably in 15 years okay. since the Bacula area has grown up so much. Yeah, a lot of construction out there. Could, maybe it could be rabbits, and I'm just not seeing them. Could be. So to protect some other things, now, I can't... Them away? Yeah, I was going to say, I can't really tell you what they're going to be attracted to and what they're not in particular. And maybe if you, you know, since you lost the marigolds, plant some uh, zinnia flowers. You know, zinnias uh-huh. are beautiful as well and a lot of the same benefits. But uh, preemptively, what I would do, any of the remaining things that you have left that you would want to protect, melorganite is a slow-release fertilizer that's made from like a concoction of sewage. I know that sounds terrible, but it's made up in the Midwest. And melorganite, it's, it's the odor of it is really just a huge repellent to animals like squirrel and deer and rabbits. And it's a slow-release fertilizer, so it's win-win. It keeps them away because of the odor. It slow-releases, so it's going to fertilize your things over the course of about six to eight weeks. So I would invest in a small bag of melorganite, and a little goes a long way. Okay. Okay. I can definitely give that a try. Yeah, and maybe try some zinnias. I just didn't want to go burn another, you know, 30, 50 bucks at (laughs) the Uh, big box store and end up, you know, I want to feed the rabbits. I'll feed them some other way. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I threw out, I had a bag of salad that, you know, was probably a day or two past what it it should be. And the lettuce starts to wilt and a little liquid at the bottom of the bag. And I thought, I'll dump this out in the front yard for the rabbits. And they ate that and left everything else alone. I was like, okay, I'm onto something here. (laughs) So, well, good luck. Let me know what you decide to do. I mean, just right off the top of my head, zinnias are probably going to be a good replacement. Yeah. Do do rabbits not tend to like them? I haven't found that they do. No, and they grow taller. They're going to go a a lot more stemmy and, you know, more height to them than marigolds. But I've, I've never had rabbits touch mine. I wonder if there's a dwarf variety. That, there are some, yeah. And even... Ooh, it's right on the front edge of the flower bed. And okay. I don't want it to go so high that it... Uh, overshadows the things or gerber daisies gerber daisies are a nice compact plant um with a bigger flower but they're going to stay kind of short and bushy those are i mean that's a huge nice big pop of color whether you get orange or yellow or red that's a good a good choice too okay yeah all right well i'll i'll look those up in my catalogs and see what i can find at uh like i said the big box stores and how do you spell the fertilizer uh melorganite m-i-l-o-r G-A-N-I-T-E, melorganite. And uh, okay. it's it's in like a pretty colorful bag, but it's a small bag because, like I said, it's like a little granule, almost like pellet-like fertilizer, but a little goes a long way, so you'll have that little bag for a while. And since it is slow release, you don't really have to reapply it. Now, you said it was, it was fairly odiferous. Um, 
is it going to be odiferous enough, you say, to keep the maybe keep the rabbits away? But is my wife, when she walks by that front bed, going to uh, <laughs> give me grief because it stinks? <laughs> to me, the smell doesn't linger. No, like once it once it kind of works its way into the soil. I mean, maybe in those first couple of hours after you apply it, it's not terrible. It's it's really not even as bad as rotten eggs, I don't think. But um, it'll linger just a little bit. But by the time you walk by it, you know, the next day or the next morning or whatever no it's not going to be offensive to us but it does linger to them enough to repel them okay yeah all right well i'll give those things a try glad you called jim thank you so much thank you hey walter would be proud thank you i i'm really glad you mentioned him we keep in touch we talk at least once a week and uh he's still doing his thing on social media and writing his garden articles and i'm so happy that he spent enough time with me in the eight years we worked together to uh Help me learn what I know, and I'm still learning, and he still is very encouraging. So thank you, Jim. Thanks for that. We'll be back with more of your calls next. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. An update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. If I could pull it up here, you would think it's it's the same. It's the same for today and tomorrow from Channel 2 Meteorologist Brad Nitz. Highs around 90 degrees, partly cloudy skies, and lows getting down to around 71 or 72. So a good pool day. Nice, pleasant weather for the weekend. 404-872-0750. Jack in Dawsonville up next. Hey there, Jack. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Ashley. How are you today? Great. How's it going? Good, good. Um, I've revived a Bermuda lawn and unfortunately I have, uh, revived nutsedge with it and I'm just inundated with millions of plants. Yeah. Uh, and I've done a little research on it, but I wanted to get a professional opinion here on how to treat this without harming the lawn as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And you said you have Bermuda? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, Amazaquin is one of the active ingredients in some of the products that are most effective. And I, I just give that with a warning. Amazaquin is good for all of the warm season grasses that we have, like you've got Bermuda. Um, not good for fescue lawn. So anybody who has nut sedge and fescue, not the not the product for you. But one of the safest ones, I would say, is sedge ender. Um, that's made by Bonide. And in Pike Nursery, it's got a purple cap, but Bonide Sedge Ender, that's all like a pre-emergent and a post-emergent. So that's going to kind of help you get ahead of, you know, regular applications of it will help you get ahead of the new nut sedge that could be growing, but also post-emergent, meaning it's going to treat what you see. It is okay. one of those really, really hard to eliminate. You have to be persistent and you have to be consistent um, with really fighting nut sedge. So that's one of the things I would start with is sedge ender. And it doesn't really wash away. Um, it stays on there. So, But repeat applications are necessary when you are overrun by it. And one that Walter talked about for years, I think it's a little bit harder to find on the market, but not to say that you can't find it, is Sedge Hammer. So they've both got Sedge in the name, Sedge Ender um, and Sedge Hammer. That may be more of the professional level, but that's another one. And you can also mix a little bit of glyphosate with it, but in very, very diluted fashion. Obviously, you know, glyphosate, anything like a Roundup product is going to kill grass and anything it comes in contact with. It's non-selective. But I think there's a little less guesswork with the Sedge Ender product by Bonide. Um, But staying on top of that and everything you can do as well, Jack, to 
toughen up the Bermuda lawn that you've got. So making sure you're keeping up with the regular fertilizations, making sure it doesn't get drought stressed or anything like that, thickening it up, making sure it gets all the full sunshine that it needs. The stronger that turf is and that canopy is, it's going to eventually help to choke out the nut sedge once you've got it under control. So let me know, follow back up with me and let me know because you're one of the first calls about nut sedge this summer. And I'm so surprised I haven't gotten more because that is a pesky one. But let me know what you do and what works. Thank you so much for the call, Jack. Time to take a break and we'll be back with hour number three of Green and Growing next on WSB.